Welcome to GMFC Studios, God's production company. Praise the Lord, everybody. It's truly good to see you this Sunday morning. For those of you that have joined us in this studio, we thank the Lord for you. Uh, for those that are joining us online, tuning in across the world, we salute you and we celebrate uh, the God in you. We are excited about what God is doing and the things that God has released into our um, spirit to share with you today. And I, I just want to, again, remind everybody uh, about the churches in Africa. Whatever you can do to help, please do so. Later on during the broadcast, you'll see at the bottom of the screen the notification for how you can donate money to Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center. 100% of the proceeds that are donated will go to help uh, the uh, two churches there that we are supporting. We're trying to do what we can to be a blessing to them, but we need your help. And in that, we salute Bishop Ogoa and Pastor Majero. Uh, two of the churches there that we are supporting and, and we thank God for them and what they're doing. Times are really hard there for them. They're struggling greatly. Just having a, a place to gather is not always uh, guaranteed. Many times they gather in open air with dirt or mud because this is the rainy season, you know, under their feet. I thank God for what he's done for us here but I also believe that he has blessed us so that we can be a blessing. So whatever you can and will, please, please send it to us and we will send it right uh, directly to them. We also, we're coming out of Thanksgiving this week and we thank the Lord for the time that we have set aside to celebrate family, to be thankful for all that God has done, to be thankful for each other. The greatest treasure that we have is our relationships with our brothers and sisters, our family, our friends, those to whom God has surrounded us. We are thankful for uh, them. And I hope that you had the opportunity to share time with family and with friends, to celebrate each other, to love on each other, to eat a whole lot of food and um, you, you can always work it out next next week. You can just, whatever extra run you got to do or push-ups you need to do or whatever, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, but we're excited about the opportunity that God has given us to just share time with one another. A lot of people value or put value in things that are temporary and things that fade away and things that um, the intrinsic value of it goes up and down. The real value that we have is in each other. And I thank God for those at Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center, for my family, for my, my friends, my brothers and sisters in law enforcement, for everyone that God has blessed me to be in relationship with. I thank God for you. Know that I'm praying for you and I'm praying that the Lord really truly bless you. So, <clears throat> I'm really excited about God's word today, and I want to give you this um, topic that you can kind of refer back to this sermon, and this you can just call this sermon, I Am Complicated. 
I am complicated. And I think that for many of us, this will hold true, just that title alone. When we look at ourselves, we find that we are quite complicated. If we talk to people about other people, we often refer to people being complicated. And complicated sometimes would be a nice way of saying, um, you know, there's a lot going on with people. And I want to talk to you today about that because it's really important to understand why we are complicated. We have to keep as a focal point of reference in our thoughts that the desires of God and the way that God carries out those desires is to pour himself out fully into us. If you remember when we started talking about this several months ago uh, in this line of uh, uh, sermons, we were talking about the way God works, the way he imparts himself into us. And this has led us to where we are today in how we are created to reflect who God is. So we were made in three parts, the body outwardly, the spirit inwardly, and the soul that sits in between the two. And God's intention is to pour himself into the spirit of man and then work himself into man's soul, that part that sits there. Now this introduces a complication for us in our current condition of humanity. There's an issue that's in existence here, and I want to talk about this today. I want to kind of dissect the three persons of who we are. Now, before God could fulfill his intention, Satan, the enemy of God, wrought himself into the body of man. We're talking about the outer shell, the flesh. So the devil works in humanity through cooperation with our flesh. So this causes sin to be in the members of the body, sin personified. And as an illegal king, it can overrule and force us to do things against our own will. Now, Satan himself, as the evil nature and as the law of sin, dwells in us to corrupt our body. So the flesh is the body poisoned by Satan. And in us, that is in our flesh, Nothing good dwells, Romans 7 and 18. This is one of the foundational texts that you will see coming on the screen, Romans 7 and 18. There is nothing that is good that dwells in our flesh. And I, I can already hear uh, in my spirit people saying, what do you mean um, forces us to do things against our will? I thought nothing could force us to do things against our will. In, in one sense, that is correct. In another sense, the flesh that outward life is very powerful. And we'll, we'll see later today how Paul makes a declaration about doing things that he would not. In other words, it was not his desire or his will to do things, but he found himself doing them. And this is true of all believers. So it, there is this outward thrust or push of your flesh born out of its alignment with the enemy that causes us to go against the will of our spirit or the things that we know we should be doing according to the word of God. Our flesh serves the law of sin against our mind and against our will. That's what it does. Flesh, our flesh is enmity against us and it's enmity against God. 
it's going to serve its own lust. It's going to look to fulfill its own desires. It will serve the law of sin against our mind and against our will. Now, Satan came into our body as that law of sin. But praise the Lord, when we were saved, the triunity of God came to dwell in our spirit as our spirit. So Christ as our life is in our spirit. So what then is our soul? Well, our soul is self. Now, I want you to, to kind of picture this. You have the devil operating in your flesh. That's the out, outside part of you. You have God working and dwelling on uh, in your spirit. That's the inside part of you. And sitting in between the devil and God is self. Visualize that for yourself. You have the devil, you have you, and you have God. So in, in essence, it's almost like the old uh, things you used to see on television where they would have the devil and the angel sitting on your shoulder, one uh, telling you one thing and the other telling you something else, and you kind of sitting in the middle trying to figure out which way to go. But self is sitting in the middle in your soul between that which is aligned with your flesh and that which is aligned with your spirit. Now, our self is in our soul. So we have been uh, impressed upon that all three beings, Adam, Satan, and God, are in us today. Adam, Satan, and God. They're all functioning. Adam, talking about the Adamic nature. Satan, talking about his work in that nature. And God, talking about the work of God in us through his indwelling presence. Now, this causes us to be quite complicated. And even to this point, you might be thinking to yourself or scratching your head just about what I've said so far. But we are really very complicated beings. The man or Adam is in us. The devil, Satan is in us. And the Lord of life, God himself is in us. And I already hear in the spirit, the devil ain't in me. Well, I want you to understand something that the devil will never leave your flesh. You can't save your flesh. The flesh is enmity against God. It will never desire the things of God. And your flesh will be removed. It will be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. If your flesh has to be changed because it is corrupted, it can never be freed from the power of the devil. If your flesh can be converted to God, there would never be then a need for it to be removed from you or changed into something else. God would not have said to crucify your flesh daily if your flesh could free itself from the power of the enemy. So I want you to understand, you got to read the Bible. You've got to understand what God is trying to tell us. This is why so often many of us struggle because we keep thinking that we can just do this on our own and everything's going to be a-okay and it just simply doesn't work that way now he's functioning in your flesh and the lord of life god himself is in us functioning as life so we have become a type of garden of eden adam representing the human race the tree of life being represented by God and the tree of knowledge being represented by Satan. And uh, these are the three parties that are in existence in the Garden of Eden. And now these very same parties are in, in existence inside of us. 
Adam, which represents self, is in our soul. Satan, the devil, is in our flesh, our body. And God, the triunity of the Godhead, is in our spirit. But we are more than just a garden. We are a great battlefield because Satan is in us fighting against God and God is in us fighting against Satan. Now, Satan takes our body, which is the flesh, as the base for his operations, as the launching point for his battles. You don't struggle with your spirit. You struggle with your flesh. Now, God takes our spirit as the base of his operations and from whence he launches his warfare against the enemy. Uh, you should be seeing uh, the second scripture coming on the screen, Galatians 5 and 17, that says, The spirit lusteth against the spirit, or the flesh rather lusteth against the spirit. And this means that our flesh lusts against the spirit. And the spirit lusts against the flesh. They're contrary to one another. So we cannot do the things that we desire. The corrupt flesh will fight against the spirit. And the spirit will fight against the flesh. So these two parties are always in a state of war with one another. Satan is functioning in our flesh as sin and God as the spirit of life is in our spirit as that life functioning and warring against the flesh. And day by day there is this spiritual warfare raging between the two of them in the battlefield which is our soul. Sounds very complicated because it really is complicated. Now if you remember... I've shown you how there are three parts in the soul, the mind, the emotion, and the will. These are the three parts of the soul, the mind, the emotion, and the will. Now, the mind is the thinking organ of the soul representing self. So what we think and what we consider will always precede what we do. You ought to write that in the comments, in the comments section there on Facebook. What I think precedes what I do. What I think precedes what I do so if I want to change what I do I have to change what I'm thinking so our mind is the representation of self it is the representative agent of self and this is why uh, the book of Romans in chapter 7 uh, 8 and 12 deal directly with the mind Romans 7 tells us that the mind stands with the law of God my mind desires to keep the law of God and uh, by itself desires to serve God. This is what Romans 7 and 25 tells us. But my mind representing myself is too weak to accomplish what it wants to do. I myself am too weak to accomplish what I want to do in the things of God. So whenever I make up my mind to do good, there is something that's stronger that, than myself, that's stronger than my mind, that uh, sinful nature that's operating in my flesh that will war against my thoughts. And whenever I exercise my mind to do the will of God and keep the law of God, the evil one in my members rises up against me, defeats me, and brings me into captivity. Now, if you think that I'm crazy, I want you to read the book of Romans, the seventh chapter. I'm referring to you right here, the 23rd verse. This is what the 23rd verse in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans is all about. This is what it's telling us. We are being brought into captivity. Captivity is not something you willfully go in. 
It is something you forcefully go into. So my mind representing myself cannot keep the law of God. If my mind tries to do the will of God all by itself within its own power, and that is the key by itself, it will always be defeated. The mind in Romans 7 is an independent mind. You ought to write that in the comment section. I don't want an independent mind. I don't want an independent mind. Because as Romans 7 teaches us, an independent mind is trying to do good by itself. So the apostle brings us into chapter 8 from chapter 7 and tells us how the mind has to be dependent upon a much greater power and greater authority than itself. You see, the independent mind trying to do things under its own power will always be defeated. On, uh, you know, when you think about that, what then must the mind be dependent upon becomes focal in how you're trying to rethink things. Well, uh, Romans 8 and 6 says, and you should see this coming up on your screen, uh, Romans 8 and 6 says, the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Now, there are two possibilities for the mind. I want you to understand this. There are only two possibilities for the mind. And it may depend either on the flesh or on the spirit. And if it depends on the flesh, the result will be death. But if it depends on the spirit, there will be life and peace. So have we seen the difference between the independent mind in chapter 7 and the dependent mind in chapter 8? I'm asking you a question. I, I'm hoping that you're thinking about the response. Do I understand succinctly the difference between having an independent mind and a dependent mind? You see, an independent mind is going to be defeated, but a mind dependent on the spirit will always enjoy victory. And since there are two parties within us warring for us, Satan in our members and the fullness of the Godhead in our spirit, we can no longer be really independent, so we should never try to be independent. If we do, we will surely be defeated. But if we uh, attempt to defeat the enemy, we will eventually become defeated by the enemy when we try to do it in our own power. We must turn independence to one another uh, or to uh, the other one that is in existence in us and that is the triunity of the Godhead that is alive within our spirit remember the tree of life that is planted in us so the key to victory if you're trying to figure out how you can always be successful in these fights the key to victory is to always set your mind on the spirit always set your mind on the things of God and when we were children all we could think about was when I grow up which is really code for being independent so that we can do whatever we want to do do what we want to do the way we want to do it be where we want to be when we want to be there not have anyone telling us what to do this is what it means when a young person says I can't wait until I grow up it's code for I don't want control over me. 
I want to control the things that I do. In essence, I want to be independent from all authority and all control. I want to be independent from any direction. I want to decide what's best for me rather than having somebody else decide that. So whatever we want to do, the way we want to do it, we want to live like Burger King and have it our way. But when we get old, how we reminisce about being young again, which truly is code for someone else being responsible for us. Dependence and independence. You see, when we're young, as a child, I don't really have to worry about where I'm going to eat because that's my parents' responsibility. They'll feed me. They'll see to it that I'm, uh, you know, going to eat. And, and, and I don't, I'm not saying this, that this is the case for everybody. I know that there are, are children that have no idea where their next meal is coming from. But I'm using this as an example that a child is dependent upon its parents uh, or those that have authority over him or her to provide for them, to take care of them. And how we long for that sometimes. How we look and wish we could go back to the day when I don't have to worry about. I you know, would run through the house, I'd just turn lights on. I wasn't worried about the electric bill. I didn't have to pay for it. I just knew I wanted light. There was a light switch, I turned it on. Because I was dependent upon those who were responsible for providing light for me to see in the room that was, that was provided for me. So there was this level of dependence that made life a whole lot easier. But we get twisted because we start looking at self and we desire within self to do things the way we want to do them, in essence, becoming independent from authority. And this is when we run into trouble. And then when we run into trouble or have to make these decisions or deal with the responsibility that comes along with independence, we would rather be dependent upon somebody else. Now, I want you to visualize this kind of picture clearly. Satan in us, Christ in us, and self standing in the middle. The enemy tempts us to do good by our own efforts. Let me say that again. The enemy tempts us to do good by our own efforts. And the usual response is, I love the Lord and belong to the Lord, so I want to do good to please the Lord. Well, this is really a temptation. When we are independent and making up our minds to do good by our own or in our own strength, we are being tempted and we will surely end up not doing the good we expected or desired to do and end up in a place of defeat. We may be able to do good, excuse me, today, tomorrow, and maybe even possibly for a few days, but I'm here to tell you, humans will get on your last nerve and you will stop doing good if you're doing good in your own power. This is where defeat comes in. Now I know I'm not talking to any of the humans that are listening to me today. You know, you're all saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost and just riding on a cloud nine. But there are humans out there that will get on your last nerve and cause anything you're trying to do in your own power to come to an abrupt end. Now, we can't keep it up for long. So the lesson that we need to learn is never to be independent in trying to do things in our own strength, but always to depend upon the Lord. 
So whenever we are tempted to do good in our own effort, we ought to battle and tell the enemy, no, devil, I cannot and I will not go that way. I do not know anything about doing good. I only know one thing, my dependence upon the Lord, and I will not be drawn away from him, leaning or uh, given over into leaning on anything other than him. I don't know how to do good lest God is working good through me. It is God that does good. I am simply an instrument and cannot perform good in and of myself. And if we have this attitude, we will enjoy the victory and have life and peace that comes from allowing the spirit of God to function in you. And it, it's really simple. It's really simple. The triune God, that is the full manifestation of God, God in every aspect. Understand, there is only one God. God in every aspect, how God has introduced himself and shared himself with us. The full function and working of God has dispensed or poured, been poured into our spirit as life and as everything that there is to be in us. So we must learn never to do anything independently or anything within our own strength. Now, before we kind of leave these two chapters that we've been kind of bouncing back and forth between Romans 7 and Romans 8, I want you to see something about the law. Now, we've seen that sin is in the flesh, and with sin, there also comes a law, the law of sin. Now, we all know what the law is. If I pick up a book and throw it into the air, it will what? It's going to fall to the earth. It will in inevitably fall to the earth. Now, I might be really strong because I've been working out uh, a little bit. You know, it was really that turkey leg was kind of heavy. So I, I kind of built up the muscle in my right arm as I was eating that turkey leg. And, it, you know, today I might be able to toss a book pretty high in the air. But because of the law, eventually that book is coming back to the earth. Now, this is what we refer to as the law of gravity. But let me do something against this law, such as lift a book instead of throwing it in the air, hold it in the air with my hand, my arm in a position. And let me do that for two or three hours. Now, I can sustain it for a while, but finally I will come to a point when my strength will fail me and I will give up. I remember being in the military and um, the platoon I was in, we were getting, as they called it, smoked for something. I don't even know what it was we did. I don't think we ever did anything. It was just what they do. It was glorified legal hazing. But anyway, we, I was, we were in this. They put us in formation. They told us to take our M16s and hold them out in front of us. And we had to hold them like this. And when they first said it, you know, the M16 is not a very heavy weapon. And we were holding it out there, and I could, I could see people locking their shoulders and had the arms out. And, you know, I was kind of doing the same thing. And I was thinking to myself, Psh, this ain't nothing. I could do this all day. Well, the drill sergeant knew something I didn't know. He knew that my strength was going to fail me at some point. And sure enough, as we're sitting there, you start seeing people and, and the M16 is getting lower and lower and the drill sergeant is yelling, hold it up, hold it up. 
And he's fussing at us about something. But the thing that I remember is hold it up. Keep it there. Don't let that uh, rifle fall. Don't let it go down. You better not let my rifle touch the ground. And you're sitting there. And then before you know it, your arms are hurting. Your shoulders are hurting. That rifle that was so light moments ago weighed an enormous amount of weight. I don't know how rifles do that. They, they get extremely heavy after a while. And it's because my own effort cannot stand against the law of gravity for a long period of time. My effort, the things that I can do in my own strength cannot stand forever against the laws that are in place. And in this example, the law of gravity. Our personal effort cannot contradict natural law. Now, matter of fact, you ought to put that, just to make sure you get it, you ought to put that in the comment section. My personal effort will never contradict natural law. My personal effort, remember, personal effort is uh, indicative of doing things in my own strength or in my own power or independent of any help. And that will never contradict natural law. In the morning, we may say to ourselves, I've been patient. I must not lose my temper. I have to endure for the entirety of the day. And perhaps we can be patient for a few days at a time. But then that day comes along when we lose our temper in a big way because you guessed it, you ran into that human that I was telling you about a little while ago. And to lose our temper is the law of sin. Not to lose our temper is our own effort. To be proud is also a law operating within us. Now, none of us has ever graduated from the school of pride. Let me say that again, because there are some people that think they graduated and they really got an empty um, uh, binder for their certificate. None of us have ever graduated from the school of pride. Even a little child knows how to be proud. Parents have never taught their children to be proud, but children understand what it is to be proud and function in pride. It comes by nature, and that sinful nature is the law that is functioning within our members, the law of sin that is alive in us. So let me get back to the illustration of holding the book or the rifle in the air. It would be foolish to exert my effort to hold the book in the air when I see there is a table in front of me. There is a table that will hold the book for me at the level that I want the book to stay. So the table represents what? It represents another law. And that law is the law of a solid support versus the law of gravity. So I can lay the book on the table and then I can shout hallelujah. I can do a dance for the Lord. I can leave it there and be in peace. The book is perfectly safe on the table because the law of a solid support overcomes the law of gravity. So you right there, you should have jumped in your spirit and been jumping up and down because the law of solid support is alive in you because God is alive in you and he is solid in his support. 
and he overcomes every single natural law that may exist against you. Well, who then is the real support that is in us? I declare with great excitement and exuberance, it is Christ, the solid rock upon which I stand. He is my support. He is my help. He is my keeper. And no matter what is coming against me, when I rest upon his solid support, in other words, when I'm dependent upon Christ rather than being independent from Christ, knowing that in my independence I will eventually fail and never fail when I'm dependent upon God. And where is he? Well, as I said earlier, he is in our spirit. And because he's in our spirit, we can set our mind then, as I told you, the key was setting our mind on the spirit, and we can leave the proverbial book on the shelf of Christ as our table. Now forget about your own effort. Never make up your own mind to do good. Never say before I was cruel to my husband or wife or you know, anyone else, now today I determined to be kind to them. We may be kind for a day or two, but we cannot last much longer than that. We must never try to make any resolution. What happens every year? We're, we're coming into the time of year where we are going to make thousands and hundreds of thousands of, uh, of resolutions only to find out that every resolution we made doesn't work. I'm going to lose weight. Doesn't work. I'm going to go on a diet. Doesn't work. We're trying to do all these things through our own power rather than being dependent upon the things that God has instituted in us to give us the support necessary to enjoy the victory and the abundant life that he promises. Now within us, as I said, Jesus exists. He is that everlasting rock. He is the proverbial table of support. Uh, as our rock inside of us so we should simply set our mind on him all the time leave ourselves upon the rock and just go to sleep you see this is the way that you enjoy victory and release when we set our mind on the spirit we simply hand over ourselves to Jesus we are saying here Jesus I can't handle this you take it for me. We cast our care upon him. Now the world would have you to say, you can handle it. What do they tell you? You can handle it. You can make it. This is all the encouraging and motivating thing. Oh, just keep pressing. Keep pressing. Push your way through. Honey, you, you might make it part of the way, but you won't make it all the way. Man's conventional wisdom to motivate you to move forward will always come to a brick wall that you will not be able to scale. It is failed wisdom from a failed being, which is humanity in independence. If you want to enjoy what is real, lasting, uh, e eternal success, you have to become dependent upon him that cannot fail fail when we rely on him we simply say to him lord here i am hopeless and helpless matter of fact you, you, some of you might you know fight against this but you ought to put that in in, in the comment section i'm hopeless and helpless 
You know, we, we're taught, we're conditioned to, you know, the psychology of man would tell you never say you're hopeless. Never believe you're helpless. There's always someone that will help you or there's always some way. If you lose your hope, you will die. No, honey, let me tell you what I've learned by reading God's word and depending upon God is I am hopeless and helpless without him. The only hope I have is Jesus. The only help I have is Jesus. I don't care how Jesus helps me. Now he may use some knuckleheads to help me and that's beautiful but my trust was not in the knucklehead. It was in the Lord. God brought the prophet to the brook and he caused ravens to come feed him and when the ravens came ravens are indicative of evil spiritual power what God was telling the prophet is I will cause your enemies to help you when you are dependent upon me so from now on I will never try to make up my mind to do anything I give my mind to the Lord I set my mind on God and doing this we are handing ourselves over to the Lord the Lord will then have the ground and the opportunity to spread himself through us to saturate us with his power and how wonderful that will be but how can we realize this in the body of life well I'm glad you asked because that was just Romans 7 and 8 now we can jump over from Romans 7 and 8 to Romans 12 now I know between 8 and 12 there's chapters 9 10 and 11 and let me just give you a little bit of, uh, of Bible study. Uh, chapters 9, 10, 11 of Romans are really just parenthetical chapters. So from Romans 8, really the next thrust is going to be Romans chapter 12. Because this is really the continuation of chapter 8. In chapter 7, the mind is independent. But in chapter 8, the mind becomes dependent. Dependent upon the spirit of God in us. The mind in chapter 7 represents the independent self struggling by its own effort. Which allows it to always end in defeat. The mind in chapter 8 represents the dependent self resting upon the things of God. This uh, gives the Lord the opportunity to satisfy our whole being with himself causing us to become a living member of his own body so we are then brought over to chapter 12 now chapter 12 deals with three things for the realization of the proper church if you want to realize that is make real that's what realization is is making this real to you chapter 12 deals with these things for the realization of the proper church life, the body, the mind, which is the main part of the soul and the spirit. The body, the mind, which is the main part of the soul and the spirit. Now, our body presented for church life. What does that look like? Well, once we rely upon Christ and he takes possession of our whole being, our body is then released from the usurping hand of the enemy. How can I be free from the power of the enemy over me, from the power of sin and death that is warring and raging against the power of life? 
by turning my life over to Jesus. So when we live independently, Satan can take possession of our body and force us to do things against our will. Now, as we rely upon Jesus, the strongest one, he releases our body from the enemy's usurping hand. Then what's the next step? Well, the next step is we must present our body to the Lord. This is verse 1 of chapter 12. We have to do this one thing. This is the one thing that many Christian brothers and sisters have refused to do. You have to present your body definitely to him, Jesus, saying, Lord, I thank you that my body, which was formerly a body of sin and a body under the power of death, is now enlivened and released through the power of Christ. And I present this body to you to be your body. If I keep my body in my hands, your body cannot be realized. In other words, I cannot realize the things of God in me if I don't turn me over to Jesus so if we're going to realize what the body of Christ is we have to definitely and practically present our body to Jesus now, we, we talk about presenting our body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, and we just skip right past present your body. We get to the holy and, and sacrifice and all these things, and those are good and they have their meaning and their place and their purpose, but you can't get there if you refuse to present yourself first. In other words, move from independence into dependence i'm not in control i'm along for the ride i'm not the driver i'm the rider now i've met a good number of christians who are talking about the body of life uh, but how about our body we talk so much about the body of Christ, but what are we doing with our body? Are we still keeping our own body under the power and control of our own hands? As long as our body is kept in our hands, there is no possibility for us to realize what is the body of Christ. In Romans, the 12th chapter, we are told that if we desire to realize church, we must first present or release our body to God since it is no longer our body it must be presented to the Lord then it becomes a living sacrifice now think about this do we come to service with our heart or with our body when you come to service when I talk about service I'm talking about church whether it's like this or in a physical place when you come do you come with your heart or with your body now many Christians may say I, I do have a heart for the church and they may have a heart for the church but their body is not for the church you see their heart came but their body stayed at home some of you that are watching here today your heart is with me but your body still is under the covers 
Now, we have to be able to say, I'm not uh, 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 only having a heart for church, but I also have a body for church. Is our heart for the church life and our body for our private life? If so, how can we realize what is the church? Or the body of Christ. We can talk very nicely about it. And everything can be hallelujah. And everyone is in the heavenlies. But actually everything is just in the air. And in the heart. And if we are going to realize. What is the body of the life of Christ. We must definitely present our body to the Lord. You know you have to think about this. When you present your body to the Lord. Then it ceases to be about what you think is right for your body and it becomes everything about what God declares is right for your body if you're trying to figure out whether you have really presented your body to God you ought to ask yourself the question who determines what happens in this body and if you find in your debrief of yourself as you go back as you look back over your life and you're trying to determine who it is that's controlling your body it becomes a red flag an indicator of who it is that's in control of your body and if you find the things you loose your body to do are under the power of you then you have not realized what it is to be in the body of Christ now your prayer might be father my body used to be under the usurping hand of the enemy But by thy grace, I thank you that you have released this body. And because you have released it from the usurping power of sin and death, I present it to you. It is no longer my body, but your sacrifice. And when you have this mentality, this type of thinking, then you will be able to realize what is the power of the body of Christ so we, we, we've dealt with the body we have to deal with the mind because our mind has to be renewed for the church you see after we present our body to the Lord the second thing for the realization of, uh, of church must properly take place what we must be transformed by the renewing of our mind this is the very second thing the very first thing in chapter uh, 12 of the book of Romans is dealing with the body remember we're complicated there are many parts of us and God is breaking down the parts he deals with what is important first and that is the surrendering of the body now to keep the body there you have to have a transformed mind and the only way to transform your mind is to renew your mind so formerly uh, this is Romans 12 and 2 formerly our mind always tried to do something by itself for God now it relies solely upon Christ this mind which depends on the Lord must be renewed enlightened and re-educated you ought to put that in the comment section re-educate me Jesus re-educate me Jesus I remember Yoda told Luke, you've got to unlearn what you have learned. You've got to unlearn what you've learned. 
Some of us have been conditioned to see life only one way. And we've got to recondition ourselves. And the only way to be reconditioned is by a renewing of your mind. We just had a Bible study that frustrated so many people. Because I touched upon a tradition known as Christmas. And a lot of people were frustrated by the things that I shared. Not even realizing that the frustration is really being born out of their conditioning and rather than receiving the word of life that God was giving, they war against it because they have not surrendered themselves over to God. They, 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 they want to co-pastor with God God doesn't need your help you need God's help let me give you a real example a brother who really loves the Lord and the church life uh, definitely offers his body as a sacrifice to the Lord and, and, and to the work of, uh, of God but after he presents himself he becomes a big problem to the church when he was indifferent about the church the church was at peace, but now when his body comes to the church, his mind comes also, and his mind has not been renewed yet. So the old things of Christianity have not yet been crossed out and purged. This is the one time I will tell you that some believers need a purge. The purge in this case is good. We need to have a purge. We need to have a day when we just purge all the nonsense of Christianity, all the nonsense of religion, all the nonsense of tradition, all the nonsense of man-made, man-designed, man-thought-up, man-frustrated garbage that we've been shoved down, that's been shoved down our throats and caused us to become a culture that does not represent God. Now, when this type of person doesn't uh, present his body, he's indifferent about the church. He says to himself, if I have time and I feel like it, I will come to the church. If I do not, I simply will not come. But now, because he's presented his body, he loves the Lord, he comes to the church, he has put himself wholly into the church, but his body comes and so does his troublesome mind. And that troublesome mind brings with it opinion, teaching, tradition, thought, and all kinds of other varying considerations which cause trouble in the body. You see, after the body is presented, the mind has to be renewed. When we take our full share in the practical life of uh, the being in the body of Christ, we must have our mind purged, renewed, and re-educated. To have our mind renewed and re-educated, we must drop all our old thoughts and natural ideas and all the teachings and considerations of traditional Christianity. This is what it means to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Then the church life becomes possible otherwise your mind will be your biggest problem 
And if I was to poll many in the church today, you will find that often and too often it is really your mind that is causing you your greatest source of trouble. Now, some believers have brought in so many problems since they came into the church. Before they came, the church was at peace. It was in unity. But since they came, and their minds have brought trouble with them for the church. You see, they think my heart is good, but actually their minds are terrible. Many old things have to be stripped off for the transforming of your mind. You have to have a transformed, renewed mind if you're ever going to move from glory to glory. You cannot be elevated in God holding on to the traditions of your forefathers. You have to understand, people of God, what the word of God is teaching, the opening of the, uh, of the indwelling presence of God, the revelation of God functioning in and through your life. This is the necessity of the presentation of your body to God and the renewing or the re-education of your mind. Every day I ask God, what is right for me in my mind today? Why? Because I learn new things. God is always teaching, growing, spreading further. And because God may have said one thing yesterday, if I open myself to hear from God I might find that he today will expound upon the one thing but if I fixate on the one thing he said yesterday and reject what he's saying today rather than seeing the correlation between what he said then and what he's saying today or what we thought God said and understand now because of what he's saying today it wasn't God speaking yesterday We have to put ourselves in a place to be open for God's instruction. Now our spirit is also burning and yearning for church. You see, I've said the body goes first. It has to be presented. Then the mind, which represents the soul or in essence represents self, has to be renewed. And then finally, the spirit must be on fire, burning fervently. So we've been, we have to be burning in the spirit. A believer may have presented their body to the Lord and may be entirely renewed in their mind, all the old things having been dropped, but they may be so cold in their spirit. They are no more a problem, but they become a burden. Every time they come to the service, they sit there like they're in a grave. They're always quiet and never troublesome, but the church must bear them as a burden to carry them along. When responsibility is shared in the elders or in the deacons meeting, they just sit there. 
Their attitude is, I am totally with you. I am for the church. I have no problem. Whatever you brothers say is all right with me. Suppose that when the responsible brothers meet together, they are all like this. Who then will bear the burden? All those brothers become themselves the burden. Not one willing to bear their share of the church's burden. On the other hand, we should not be troublesome. But on the other hand, again, we need to be a troublemaker. In other words, we should have no variance, no cross current with our brothers and sisters. But we should be on fire. We should be burning and burning. We must be burning in our spirit and be so much on fire that other folk can't be around us and not catch on fire themselves. You see, the Christian life may seem to be individual and private, but really it's not. The Christian life in truth is a corporate life. Well, what are you saying, Bishop? I'm telling you that we are the body of Christ. That is not individualistic. That is corporate by nature. What does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that we are members of one body. That's corporate. There are many parts, but one body. You are, uh, a, you're, you are a, uh, not alone in the body. You are not the only member of the body. You are one of many members and you need your other members in order to realize what is the body of Christ. Hezekiah Walker said, I need you. You need me. We all are a part of God's body and it is his will that every need be supplied but we have to realize that it's you and I together corporate functioning in the body of Christ when we stop trying to do good by ourselves and learn to depend on Jesus and live by the power of Jesus in us, we, are, uh, we will become living members and prepare to be a functioning member within his body. Then we have to realize the church by uh, definitely presenting our body to the Lord, having our mind renewed, and by having our spirit on fire. And when the body is presented, the soul is transformed, and the spirit is on fire, then we will have what is real church you will enjoy what is real church when all the members come with a presented body a transformed mind and a spirit on fire will be uh, a, a functioning Member, not a troublesome, cold, or dead member. We will not be a member out of function, but a prevailing and aggressive member that's operating in function. We will have the reality of what is the body of Christ. People of God, hear me today. I understand we are complicated. We are complicated. 
And there are many things that are pulling at us. We're at war. We're constantly in a struggle. But you have to make up in your renewed mind that your body presented and spirit on fire is the only way I will realize what it is to be in the real body of Christ. I pray that these words of the Lord find you and minister greatly to you. They open your mind and your heart to not just receiving, but to their application that wherever we may be falling short, not only will God bring clarity and understanding but we will be able to apply the plan of God so that we can enjoy what it is to be in the body of God. I salute you, my brothers and sisters. I thank God for you. And I am praying for you. Make it a blessed Sunday. This has been a production of the GMFC Studios. God bless you.